one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Welcome to the NXT 2.0 Vengeance Day Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamper, Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT 2.0 Vengeance Day. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or if you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review NXT 2.0, but also Man and Hour AW Dynamite, AW Rampage, Paper use premium live events we have interviews round table discussions and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestle culture as i said though joined by hamlet and sidgwick to review vengeance day surprisingly good show this i thought hamlet yeah um let's just make an alvarez ratings thread out of this shall we aw is in the mud not only is apparently Friday Smackdown cowboy town now uh cody rhodes is gone and nxt is better than ever 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 this show wasn't even good. Like, not to undermine your point, it wasn't even good, but it was great in the context of how we enjoy 2.0. I live for NXT 2.0 to be exactly like this. Some of the wrestling was uh, nowhere near good enough to be classified as great, but it doesn't matter because you start the show with the amount of jizz and sex and cum that this one did, that you kind of, you set up and you're good to go. And yet again, the one thing that they're not screwing up continues to not be screwed up. Rob Breaker is amazing. As is Carmelo Hayes. Yes, we'll get to that. I was a little bit maybe underwhelmed, but we'll get to that later. But God damn it, Rob Breaker. I'm just going to... It's a sort of performance where it's like, I want to talk about that and ruin the chronology of the podcast. (laughs) He does this thing where he can like... You know the old expression like 0 to 60 Mm. in however many seconds? He goes from like 0 to 5. And then he just goes from like five to sixty. This incredible <laughs> thing that I don't. How have you moved across the ring with that much explosive power in that short amount of time? It's awesome. Yeah, he, he's one of the few people that I feel sorry for Kevin Dunn for because you know, amount of times I go, he's missed the spot. He's missed Edge spearing someone in the first spear and back in the rumble or whatever because he has to show a picture of the crowd. When Bron breaks in the ring, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Fair enough. Yeah, I could barely keep up with him just watching if he had the hard cam. So yeah, getting the shot of him just. Uh, back in the ring. Uh, it's weird. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ, where's this come from? So, like, obviously, I missed this last week, but, um, you know, I completely trusted your descriptions of how awful 
Dolph Ziggler's appearance scene. And I wasn't really encouraged by Raw being like, what's, what's he going to do to poor old man Champa? Like Dolph Ziggler, the, the jock bully, knocking on old man Champa's door and then egging him when he comes out of his house. Yeah. But, but now this has got that SummerSlam Goldberg energy written all over, hasn't yes. it? They have found the perfect arsehole for like, Bron Breaker to rip in half. Right, should we start at the beginning of this show? Yes. It opened <laughs> with a weaponized steel cage match, but it's not really what it opened with. What it actually opened with was, you know when we first pitched, dude, where's my tits? <laughs> I think we were all a bit like anxious that we didn't come across incorrectly. We were very hesitant to say, look, this isn't us, this is them. They sexualized this product. This is us just satirizing that aspect of it. But we're always a bit like, you know, I don't know, you know, Get, get misinterpreted or whatever. So they open the big TV pay-per-view effectively with someone who's not even on the show. I mean, she is, but not, she's not wrestling. Uh, in a bikini by a pool uh, with a text thread uh, amongst toxic attraction. It was a way to run through the entire card. But let's be honest, the main thing was the series of messages that Don D'Angelo has been sending Mandy Rose featuring uh, just a, a glass of wine emoji. How you doing? Uh, hey, I'm texting here. Uh, and my two favorites, I ain't called Tony D for nothing. And <laughs> all caps, you want to buy the ball? I like how my favorite one, before Hamflet dives uh, straight in here, my favorite one is, they don't call me Tony D for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Can he come or not? <laughs> Normally, me and my family, we hate rats. But I'm like one of a goddamn drain pipe whenever I see many <laughs> rolls on TV. Uh, and then there was a, a the uh, group chat with Mandy writing. Ugh. Oh, hang on. I'll do it in a different strand of words. Yes, please. You girls getting texts from turning dear? To which JC Jane responded, I'm going to do it in my normal voice because I feel like it merits it. Shouldn't he be more worried about Pete Dunne in a cage with weapons? <laughs> Which Jane doing replied. copy for our podcasts. Say again. Jane doing copy for our podcast. Oh, God, I know. Top, top girl. Love that. In response to it, Gigi Dolan was like, what's wrong with the cage with weapons? I have kinks for my hot <laughs> deck with my hot body. Anyway. Like the camera pulls away to reveal like a cricket bat by the side of a bed. Anyway, gotta go. <laughs> Uh, it was uh, wrapped up by Mandy saying, Happy Vengeance Day, bitches. Happy Vengeance Day, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and we started. Let's, because we like to um, make a, a catalogue of who is wet and hard for who. Yes. Just the latest on the scorecard there. I think Mandy Rose is wet for Carmelo Hayes, provided he's got gold. Oh, yeah. She was like, mm, Mellow. Mellow with gold. I'm a gold digger. Yeah. That was the implication. Um, didn't one of them fancy Cameron Grimes? I think so. And one of them was like, ugh. Yeah. And then, yeah, uh, Tony D wants to shag Mandy Rose. He's hard for Mandy Rose. Well, unfortunately for him, Mandy Rose is wet for Carmelo Hayes, provided he's got gold. Uh, and Gigi Dolene wants just weaponry. Doesn't really care who he's with. Uh, and uh, Persia Pryor, Pastor Duke Hudson... Indie Hartwell Fantasy Text Illuminus. I think that's everyone up to date. Well, I should I should keep a should keep a list. Someone has on Twitter actually, but don't forget Anophian Blade. Oh yes, Jensen. Oh, for f- we'll get to them. Yeah, we'll get to them. We'll get to them. 
Anyway, so the show match-wise started with the weaponized steel cage match. Uh, Pete Dunn's already in the cage, um, and we see Tony D'Angelo arriving in a fancy car that Vic Joseph mentions might have been, quote, lifted. Never try and use that word again, Vic Joseph. No. Uh, get into it straight away. I really enjoyed this. It was just a bonkers weapon match from NXT 2.0. Um, Don immediately attacks Tony D'Angelo at the bell and legitimately breaks a chair over his back. It just exploded when he hit him with it like the third time. Uh, Tony D'Angelo fights back and hits a falcon arrow on top of a garbage can. Um, and then as he's going, Tony, in the toolbox for some weapons, Dunn slams it shut on his hands uh, and then goes after the fingers, bending them backwards, using a wrench to twist them all over at shop and stamp it on them. Uh, Dunn then just tries to leave the cage, uh, to which Donny D'Angelo shoots a fire extinguisher at him, uh, suplexes him off the top and then zip ties his hands behind his back. Uh, Dunn actually gets a surprising amount of offense in with his hands t- behind his back, headbutts him, uh, manages to put him in a he- uh, head scissors, but Tony D'Angelo slams him down out of it and gets a two count after a DDT. Uh, Tony goes to uh, powerbomb Dunn into the table that's propped up inside the ring, but Dunn uh, gets a guillotine choke on him, and the only way Tony can get out of it is by grabbing pliers out of the toolbox and cutting Dunn's hands free. I thought that was a cute little spot, to be honest. Uh, And then Tony goes for the crowbar, his weapon of choice, uh, but Dunn catches him, powerbombs him through a table. Love that spot. Really well sold that from both men, I thought. Uh, And then Dunn goes after the cricket bat, which is very poorly designed because that also explodes as uh, he smashes it over Tony D'Angelo's back. Uh, Dunn hits him with a bitter end, but only gets a two count. D'Angelo fights back by hitting a low blow and that fisherman buster of his, which I have been confirmed, is now called the forget about it. That gets him a two count, but then Dunn grabs a crowbar that was hidden in the ring apron for some reason, twats Tony with it, bitter end for the second time. One, two, three. This was bonkers fun. I think I can sense Hamlet disagreeing, right? But this WWE steel cage match worked between an Italian-American stereotype and a great wrestler whose platform is not television at all. Yep. I thought it was really quite good. Yeah. In its own little way. Yes, it's a very different <laughs> weapons match I'd expect from other promotions, let's say. Look, they didn't mess about... They didn't agonize or stall taking the weapons off the cage. It was brisk. Everything to do with the finger, the way the finger was counted with like the, the what was it? Not tape. Oh, Wire. yeah, yeah. Just the, given every beat of this feud, which has been ridiculous, stamping the toolbox on the fingers, then working the fingers, and then going back to the other guy's fingers, and like it was quite smooth the way that they got the pliers from the box and how the box was the central sort of crux of the match. I genuinely thought this was quite creatively done and smoothly done. And it actually made, in terms of the baby face, I guess we've done the baby yeah. face, given his preferred limb work, they used plunder around that. Mm-hmm. They did twists around that. I didn't hate this at all. This is one of my favorite weapon matches in WWE in recent memory, because normally, like you say, they just take so much time with stuff. 
and they have to set stuff up, whether it be tables or whatever. Now, tables already propped in the corner. Just twat each other with everything you can grab off the walls. And let's wrap this up inside 10 minutes. They explored the characters and story beats in the payoff. It was genuinely, by WWE standards, quite a rich gimmick match. Anyway, over to the grumpy old bastard. What do you make of it? <laughs> yeah, I feel almost guilty for being such a miserable twat on this one because I thought this was rubbish. I thought this was... I was all ready to say, look, Wilborn, I admire your generosity towards Tony D'Angelo because of how much you value him from a content production point of view. <laughs> um, but in, enough's enough. <laughs> Just, what I, the, the nice thing I can say about this match, and I think, Wilborn, you touched on it there, was that I think I've got so much PTSD from the previous weaponized Chaos matches, be it the third four from Gargano Cole or the Ambrose Asylum, mm. or at least one more time that I think they've done this that I, I'm struggling to remember. This going like 10 minutes or whatever it went was so refreshing compared to like had they dropped this at the top of the hour or like early in the second hour you'd be sitting down for 20 laborious minutes mm. or something and there was none of that so I admired the pacing of it and that was genuinely the thing I was going to compliment but it was just about all I was going to compliment I found myself thinking as it was taking place and as I was feeling absolutely nothing for the weapons work that oh like yesterday I was kind of thinking to myself how can you do a match where the feud's already been paid off? And the answer was, I just don't really do a match. Just send them in there to swing stuff at each other for 10 and then get <laughs> out of there. So I guess in that sense, uh, like I'm finding a bit of common ground with you both because they realised that there was no match left to be had. This story was kind of completed and then they decided to just have one more week where they just lobbed stuff at each other. Um, I, like, I guess consider this a natural sequel to Kenny Omega versus John Moxley, and it requires Sidgwick to explain the psychology to me about how the weapon stuff was good, actually, because <laughs> I just I was just not feeling this in the slightest. I'm yet to um, I'm yet to like I don't know feel like Tony D'Angelo in the ring uh, is meeting me halfway on how much we enjoy the content of his promos or the ridiculousness of his character. Tony D'Angelo colon Shagger, though, as a next chapter, yes, bang into it, bang into it. I thought this was cute. Mm. An over-delivery that was cute and creative. Mm. Well, let's move on to something that definitely wasn't. It was a montage of Corey Jade and Raquel Gonzalez doing exercise that Corey Jade couldn't be asked to do or was not strong enough to do, and Raquel Gonzalez is, because look at the size of that back. And, uh, yeah, they're going to do it all again tomorrow morning, basically. Do they, doing their jobs? Yeah. <laughs> like, I've got no sympathy for Corey Jade whatsoever. What time is it? Five o'clock? Try being nearly 37, eating a big piss at 4 a.m. <laughs> and thinking, oh, that's it for me. I, if 3 o'clock, I can get back to sleep at 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm. 4 a.m., it's like, oh, well, the kids are going to be up at this time. What's on Twitter? Mm. I need to oh, what's on Twitter? What's the wordle? Oh, yeah. Do not, do not do the, like, try and stay asleep doing a sit-down wee thing. What? Yeah, I do that. If you stay sat down... Like the natural sort of way your body just sort of leans forward, you can kind of just almost stay asleep. You're doing a 4 a.m. standing up way. I didn't realize there was any other way to wee. Oh. That's what's waking you up, man. That's what's waking you up. If you stay sat down, you kind of nod back off again and then let nature take its course and then just fall back into bed until the kids wake you. Wow. If, yeah. this, if this works. Honestly, it's a game changer, this. Or just piss yourself. You know, either or. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a thing? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Sit down, wheeze. This podcast was always like the natural destination for this podcast was always, or oh, just piss yourself. <laughs> like, I can't remember the last time, and this isn't even waking up in the night. This is morning, Wilborn. 
Uh, I can't remember the last time I had a standing up, stand up wee in the first thing in the morning. Sit down, wee for me, all the way. Oh, I'm flabbergasted, <laughs> but if this works, I'll be happy. Well, we I'm not talking about like the middle of the day one where you take biscuits in and put your head in your hands and question everything. I'm like, I'm about four in the morning in winter when it's still dark. Like, obviously, you know. Uh, and next up, just on this, just on this really briefly, <laughs> I'm always a fan of any time they like even inadvertently neg Triple H, like the, the prodigal son in law assembles the richest wrestling centric gym in history, and then Vince and Bruce and Johnny like send them down the park. They can't be asked with a performance center. That was what I was going to say. She definitely can't ride a skateboard, can she? She de- 100% cannot ride a skateboard. Because that moment where they went, we're going to run around the park. I went, cool. So she's jumping on the skateboard, obviously, because Raquel Gonzalez sets off. And then the character, you go, oh, yeah, I'm right behind you. Off she goes. Didn't have it because she can't do it. Do you want to know why I know she can't ride a skateboard before what? this? Because she can't ride a skateboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, this is the vinyl nail in the coffin, I think it's fair to say. Uh, right. Next up, I want to give congratulations to Michael Hamflet, who won uh, this week's Zeitgeist Heist. Uh, on the preview yesterday, I suggested a reference to Stardust. Me and Sid just basically read Google's trending tab. and then, did it on your behalf, Hamflet. And, and then we said on your behalf, you can have any Super Bowl reference. Boom. Wade Barrett did it as they ran through the show. Um, uh, Vic Joseph was talking about something. And Wade Barrett referenced Joe Burrow, who is the Cincinnati Bengals quarterback, and how much he and uh, other people are losers, basically. So congratulations, Hamlet. That's very impressive that considering you went on the preview. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> uh, we got a little pro- promo from each of the Creed brothers and MSK, oh, and Malcolm Bivins. I'm so happy for Mark and Bivins, by the way. I'm jumping ahead, but I'm so happy for them. Um, uh, Creed brothers say the only reason MSK won the Dusty Cup last year is because they weren't in the tournament, and MSK got a promo uh, talking about winning back-to-back Dusty Cups and the fact that they're the veterans facing an up-and-coming team. And then we got the women's tag team title match. It was Toxic Attraction defending against Indy Hartwell and Persia Perotta. Are we going to get new tag champs? Are we going to get a split? Nope, it's all of that. Uh, toxic, toxic Attraction attacked the challengers before the bell, and then Persia Pro went right enough of all that. Uh, I'm just stronger than both of you, so she just fights back for both her and Indy Hartwell. Um, she hits a uh, fall-away slam on JC Jane, but Mandy Rose, who's at ringside, uh, distracts Indy Hartwell as she's in, um, and uh, Indy's been sp- uh, spilled to the outside subsequent to that. To, after Toxic Attraction take control. And Mandy Rose gets caught chucking her back in and ejected from ringside. Uh, we go to a break. Hartwell starts making a comeback. Um, she makes the hot tag. Persia Perotta comes in uh, and just levels both her opponents, uh, eventually hitting them both with a Samoan drop, which is very impressive. Uh, and then Jane and Perotta, who aren't the legal people, are brawling around ringside. And JC Jane hoys Persia Perotta into the steel steps to take her out. Uh, Indy Hartwell, Gigi Jolene, they are the legal people. Um, but as uh, Indy Hartwell jumps up on top to go for a springboard elbow, Jane grabs Hartwell's leg or the top rope or something to uh, spill her over the top and make her miss the move. Uh, and Toxic Traction hit that high-low double-team thing of theirs to get the one, two, three. What did you make of this, Hamlet? Are we going to get a title change? Are we going to get a split? Are we going to get a good match in this women's division ever again? No. <laughs> no, no, no. Burn it down and start again. This match was crap. Every week, this match is crap. Uh, this division's a nightmare. That's my fault. I watched um, 
uh, Asker versus Bailey from Takeover Dallas yesterday. That's, <laughs> no pressure. That's, that's on me. A few hours, isn't it, before NXT 2.0? That's on me, really. This division's a mess. It's a nightmare of sexism, racism, misogyny, and terrible pro wrestling. Send like the main roster women's division is on its knees pretty much anyway, and let it stay there. Send all the best talent down. I'm not talking about Mandy Rose, with respect to her. Send all the best women down to NXT and just fix this because, like, and I'm referring to the horsewomen. Why not? Like, what's done is done on the main roster. Get your big matches out of the way and send them down to fix this. Just make them make like put them in the Serena Deeb role, but on TV, and then we can all be like the coaches when they eventually sign for AEW, and it's awesome. Because <laughs> um, this is a disaster. <laughs> like, I'm finding this division increasingly depressing by the week. Hated it. Like this was just. I've got nothing to add to your analysis of the match, your recap of the match, mm. because it was just a rubbish match with mostly poorly executed stuff. As it is every him week, lousy, lousy stuff, bad angles, bad characters. When you did your recap of the match, I'm thinking you're having me on here. None of this happened. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. none of this happened. I can't remember a single thing of this at all. Sloppy execution. No sense whatsoever that it was either A, a fight, or B, a really nicely choreographed version of a pro wrestling match. Like, Hamlet had one of my favourite takes. He put himself down as a content creator the other day, and I said, that's a stupid thing for you to say. I think you're excellent at this. Hamlet's best succinct summary of this exact sensation that I experienced watching this was just here's some wrestling happening in front of me. Mm. And I felt nothing more and nothing less than that. I just saw some moves, no intensity, no struggle, poor execution, clearly being told what to do and not knowing exactly how to do it correctly yet, if at all, like just some moves, just some moves in an order that just about tells a coherent story in terms of face and heel dynamics moves that are largely beyond their ability level, but it's a playbook. This is what you have to do. Mercifully short. Mercifully short. I pitied the people involved and I felt nothing for what they did. Yeah, I'll be honest, this was the point when I was like, oh yeah, they've got those screens with fake people in the background. I'm just looking around the arena at this point because this this didn't happen for for the same reason. And yeah, they cheekily went, oh, we'll just do the split in the tournament. So wait till then. More on them in a bit, by the way. <clears throat> Wendy Chu's backstage with Amari Miller asking if she wants to team up uh, for the Women's Dusty Cup, which starts next week. But uh, Amari's already got a partner. So Wendy Chu goes and asks Dakota Kai, who's talking to someone else, talking to herself. Hamlet, she's crazy. <laughs> Half the people on this brand are drowning in cum. The women are just playing drowning. <laughs> like there, Dakota Kai might be baby-faced, maybe by a odd couple association with Wendy Chu. By the way, there's already an odd couple in this tournament. We've literally seen him in yet for them earlier on. It's Cora Jade and Raquel Gonzalez. Two odd couples. What's going to happen? Um, or she'll turn on Wendy Chu, and that'll be a feud. I don't want to watch it. It'll be rubbish. It'll be absolutely rubbish. I want to see. I, I want to I see Wendy Chu versus Dakota Kai. I don't need to see this in the interim. Do you want to see Wendy Chu versus Dakota Kai? I, I want to see. I want to see Wendy Chu wrestling people she's there to beat, so we can see what fun sleeping spot they come up with. Like yeah. Wendy Chu in the feud is the end of Wendy Chu. 
and crazy Dakota Kai, as we've already seen, is the end of Dakota Kai. This is so bad for Dakota Kai. This poor this. Uh, right, on to the next segment, Michael Sidgwick. Uh, it was uh, Boris Johnson and John... Uh, they're at a bar, and uh, we didn't even get to see the bloody date. We just had uh, Briggs talking about... No, Brooks. Oh, I don't know which one's which. One of them talking about their date with Caden Carter, basically. Uh, and he says, yeah, yeah, we, it was good. It was really good, actually. We had dinner. We talked about the Dusty Cock. It was nice. And then I walked her back and she said, you're like a brother to me. So, yeah, all in all, pretty good. Fairly certain I'm in there. The other one's like, oh, you bloody idiot. I know, you, I know you're from Alabama, but that's not going to use your fingernails, brother. Uh, and he goes, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And he goes, oh, let's ask the bartender. And she says, yeah, well, you've got a friend for life. Wink, wink. Uh, and then he goes, oh, just bloody realise what you mean. And they say, oh, he's in the zone. And I hate both of these two. I struggle weekly to comprehend where my interest level should be in this. I don't like them. It's not wrestling. <laughs> it's stupid. It's bad. It's the dumbest thing of all time. Um, it's more friend zone stuff. 24 hours removed from the last friend zone stuff. What is this? How much of an imbecile must this man be? I can't even take joy in how much of an idiot he is. He's just an idiot. Who, oh, I, I, I've got nothing to say about this. Absolute state of your dusty cup at this point in the show, by the way. A minging tag team match featuring two women that are going to be ripped apart by their separate relationships with men. Uh, two separate odd couple tag teams and a team that are about to be gaslit for not wanting to have sex with pricks. And that's your, that's your tournament. For oh, your and and uh, Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray are going to win the whole thing. I mean, yeah, they're absolutely class, but like, thank <laughs> God. Like, at least at least um, when Cody and Brandy are brought in to do the presentation, fingers crossed, <laughs> they'll, be able to, uh, they'll be able to give the trophy a team of some worth and credibility. Like, and that's the thing, right, Wilbon? You make the point there. I know we're going to get to bed stuff a little bit later. If Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray don't win this tournament, they're the worst wrestlers of all time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Look, think psychologically, look at the field in front of them. And they're like, by, by leaps and bounds, the two best wrestlers in this division. If they don't win this tournament, they should be sacked. They're, they're, they don't like fulfill their remit on this brand if they can't win this at a canter. Well, unless Zoe Stark, it's a little bit. There was a little look she gave, and I thought, "Ooh, what's going on there?" But yeah, I think we can have enough betrayals and, and what have you already. So yeah, time for more come. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be Big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. <laughs> well, what it in fact was time for was the star of the show. And that's L.A. Yeah, Whoever yeah. talk to you. Uh, so he comes down to the ring to cut a promo. Oh, he's such a star. Uh, he gets on the mic, but out comes Grace and Bloody Waller, who you've already seen with Sanger and Police and flashing lights and stuff backstage. And he comes down to the ring with his restraining order and his cops and says, that, there he is, that's the guy. Um, he's, been, he's been obsessed with me for months. Uh, it didn't have to be this way. Uh, you've got no, ch- I've got no choice now though. And he shows um, Waller getting attacked by night after he lost to AJ, attacking him for quote no reason at all. And what happened last week with with sat after the Sanger match, uh, he said, "I've got emotional trauma." Um, and he attacked me again after that, and I can't sleep, and I am full of anxiety. Uh, you, you've seen the evidence. He's broke the restraining order. Arrest that man. And LA Knight says, "Well, wait a second. Let me talk to you." Yeah. Um, he grabs the envelope uh, and he reads it. Uh, he says, uh, I, I knew this, I knew this jackass would bring his own video evidence. Uh, so I brought my own and he shows the bit of that, to be fair, a really nice bit where Waller flips over the barricade. And then I think he hits uh, LA Knight with a cutter, if I remember rightly. He says, I ain't no legal beagle, which popped me huge. Uh, he <laughs> said, uh, but I know, uh, he knows, the fans know. Uh, and you all should know that according to page two of the order, yes, L.A. Knight can't touch Grayson Waller, but also Grayson Waller can't touch L.A. Knight. Therefore, the restraining order is null and void. And Waller goes, oh, wait a bloody second. That's not how it works in Australia. We're not in Australia. You're in America. Um, <laughs> and the cops go, yeah, bollocks. This, this, this is, yeah, you've, already, you've sorted out between the two of you. Uh, and Waller's desperate. Oh, no, I didn't mean to touch him. I tripped on the barricade. And he slowly dawns on him, oh, God, does this mean L.A. Knight can do whatever he wants? And he's sort of, he's facing away from L.A. Knight. He knows what's coming and he just sort of sighs, turns around 
prepares to attempt to attack to LA Knight, but we all know how this is going to play out. LA Knight wipes him out, beats him up, stomps him down in the corner. Sanger comes out to make the save. He gets knocked off the apron, and then LA Knight launches Grayson Waller over the ropes onto him, uh, and they announce that there's going to be a big face-off next week. Really enjoyed this. As much as I love LA Knight, your passionate recap and enthusiasm towards this segment was yet again better than the segment itself. <laughs> and how much of a useless tosser is Sanga? <laughs> what a useless tosser. You've got a two-on-one advantage. This man exists. This man was built. Look at the size of him to help you in situations like this. You've got an extra man and he's bloody massive. The baby face should struggle against two people. They look valiant for trying and it makes them look less, doesn't make them any look any less hard for the numbers advantage catching up. This tosser is useless. Even Grayson Waller was resigned before he'd even tried to do anything that his heater was a useless tosser. This I will say it was Grayson Waller's fault for telling Sanger to wait outside with the other police officers for some reason earlier. Well, he's a useless tosser as well. Yeah. It's uh, it's so unfair to dunk on anybody that enjoys this show earnestly because absolutely like what you like. It's always the message. However, when Grayson Waller attacked Johnny Gargano, there was a lot the next day, wasn't there? There was a lot of uh, huge moment. Huge moment for Grayson Waller there. Like NXT's future clearly in this guy's hands. <laughs> He's lost to AJ Styles. <laughs> He's gone and got himself a massive heater who's then lost to LA Knight. He's had a restraining order that he himself has violated and thus... He's lost his own angle. He's lost his own restraining order angle ahead of probable defeat or a cheap victory over LA Knight last week. Like, he is nothing. Even compared to the version of himself that beat up Johnny Gargano, he's nothing already. Like, they, they kind of book and they kind of push anybody. It's great. Um, LA Knight, Will Bourne, honestly, you've reached that point where you would see, um, whenever there was, like, backstage cameras at an ECW show in the late 90s, and Paul Heyman would get, like, a Just Incredible or a Hack Myers to run through walls for him by saying, the world is watching you. Vince McMahon is watching you. And then it's like, I don't want to have to pay you, but please <laughs> kill yourself on my company. <laughs> and they'd go out and they'd be, like that, you know. And when you talk about LA Knight, I'm thinking, what did I watch last night versus what I'm hearing here? Like, <laughs> he's funny enough, but he's probably listening to this. Hey, let what culture talk to you. And he's playing the podcast out with the performance center. Listen to them. This is what you need to be doing. Listen to this guy. He's talking about me. It's great. I love I it. I might have stumbled onto something here. I think Wilborn likes saying, yeah. <laughs> it's over in the Sidgwick household. It's over in the Sidgwick household yeah. for whatever reason. You know, when you try to like perform and get the kids yeah. in the right mood and all the rest of it to not be incredibly difficult in leaving <laughs> the house. <laughs> so you just like, you know, you have fun with the kids and all the rest of it. So I was like, uh, Charlotte, do you want some uh, breakfast? Do you want some toast? And she went, yeah. And I went, yeah. And her eyes lit up. <laughs> her, looked much like Adam Wilborn's. Her eyes, she went, yeah. And I was like, get in. Ellie Knight's over. <laughs> I can now bond with my daughter and get her out the house. In the nicest possible way, because I have to go to work and she has to go to nursery. <laughs> Let me talk to you. Do you want butter? Or do you want marmalade? Yeah. And honestly, she loves her. She absolutely pops for LA and I talk. I'm going to bite you so hard in your ass when, like, your wife's telling her off or something when you're not there. And she goes, hey, mom, let me talk to you. And, 
I don't know why LA Knight saying the phrase legal beagle got me so much. I ain't no legal beagle, yeah. It's just these classmen, these class. No, this is this impersonating Austin and the Rock stick is good because the Rock and Austin were good. So inevitably, it's sort of, it will work out for you if you plug away it long enough. Oh yeah. Um, right, uh, great uh, news. We've got a bit of a cock update. Uh, Indy Hartwell and Virgil Pro backstage. They're disappointed about missing out on the titles, but they're going to go and win the Dusty Cup as well anyway. Uh, and as they sort of have a little moment where it looks like they're going to discuss strategy, Dexter Loomis turns up and Indy Hartwell's like, well, I'll have to get my cock. And then uh, Virgil Pro's like, oh, a bit mugged off by this. So I want some cock. Too. Yeah, yeah. And then thankfully, Duke Goodson shows up. She's like, oh, Brune, you've got a cock. There we go. <laughs> That's what it was, right? Yes. Now, we are now at a stage where they both have cock. Mm-hmm. So that's good because the whole idea is Persia Prota was accusing Indy Hartwell when they lost various matches over the last half period of time of too busy thinking about Dexter Loomis' cack. And Indy Hartwell was like, mm, there's really good cock though. I can't have it just six days a week. It has to be seven. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, you know, we're going to get with later on with the, the bat swinging. Muscle, muscular training. You've got um, Cora Jade and Raquel Gonzalez out in the park. Next week, vignette, head of the Dusty Cup, full sex. Split screen, full sex. Cardio. Cardio. For Cardio, yeah. So they should be happy now. Yeah. No conflict. They're both just comparing sizes of cart. Unless. Talk about the techniques that the carts can do to make them come. The other, the, other, the other way they do it. Well, one Some way they may do it is... <laughs> One they may they may do it is uh Persia Prota describing it as a stack of poker chips or something. I don't know if he's still a poker player or not. He had a big hand. <laughs> and I went all he went all in in my pussy. <laughs> right. Or they introduce like some some football teams do. They're like no sex before match days rule. And then like, I just want to get the match over so I can have some cock. Roll me up, roll me up, roll me up. I need some cock. I need some cock. Right, Tommy Chomp is cutting one of those uh, promos next to a metal door. Uh, it talks about spending six years <laughs> building his brand, his home. Um, That's his brand now, isn't it? It's like, hey, yeah, get me a metal door. I got to see something. Uh, he says, people still act like it don't matter, like it's a, a minor league farm system, basically. It is. People think that they're better than him. Dolph Ziggler does, uh, but he mistakes loyalty for fear. Uh, he says, tonight it's all about Breaker versus Escobar, but he wants that title too. And no doubt Ziggler is going to be watching as well. Very intense, this Hamlet. Very old. <laughs> uh, I've been doing this six years and I still can't get all the snow off my yard. And Dolph Ziggler comes in here and he thinks he can get all the snow off in one week. I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe that's how you clear the snow on Monday Night Raw, but we do think differently here in NXT. <laughs> Rubbish. Chop his crap again. It's and, efficient. Uh, he was really good for a bit with Thatcher and then with Breaker, and now he sucks. Maybe it's Ziggler. Maybe it's just Ziggler the whole time. <laughs> the thing, right? The, the Ziggler thing, right? So there's Champa giving it the big the big beans about Dolph Ziggler. Bron Breaker just looks like physically he's going to wreck him. So he is. <laughs> it does very much feel like so the old man can still talk a good game, but he can't fight for So he's like sending in his. Like they really stubbornly won't sign Rick Steiner or Scott Steiner to be his dad or uncle. They'll just use Champa as it instead. Mm. Like he's Tommaso Steiner at this point. <laughs> uh, then we got the North American Championship match. It was the champion Carmelo Hayes defending against Moon. Uh, also featuring the excellent Trick Williams this match. 
Um, start off back and forth, sort of slow, slow build this one. Um, Grimes, though, hits a big back body drop. Um, but again, Trick Williams is there on the outside and distracts Carmelo Hayes. Uh, distracts, sorry, uh, Cameron Grimes to allow Carmelo Hayes to take control. Uh, he also hit a springboard leg drop on Grimes, Grimes as he was wrapped in the ropes to take us to commercial. Uh, and whilst we're in commercials, Trick Williams twats Cameron Grimes behind the referee's back to allow Carmelo Hayes to really dominate. When we come back, though, Grimes starts making a comeback. Uh, he gets a big side slam um, and gets a two count. But then Hayes uh, hits a lung blow and a springboard clothesline. That gets him a near fall. Uh, Grimes gets a two count off the back of a super kick. Um, Williams hops up on the apron to try and distract Grimes again. But as Hayes goes to jump him, Grimes dodges it. They almost have a meeting in the minds between Hayes and Williams. And then uh, Grimes hit him with a poison rana. He then kicks Williams off the apron, hits a flying crossbody to the champion for a nice near fall. He goes to do his uh, double foot stomp, but uh, Carmelo Hayes, smart, smart wrestler that he is, rolls to the outside. Grimes goes after him, goes to do it anyway, but Trick Williams, hero that he is, pushes Carmelo out of the way and just eats it himself. Carmelo Hayes uses that opportunity to chuck Grimes into the barricade. He puts him back in the ring, puts him in a crossface. Grimes reaches for the bottom rope. And I love this spot. And Trick Williams just tries to slightly pull it away from his fingers. Still not getting kicked out of ringside, by the way. Um, but eventually, uh, Grimes counters, uh, reverses the hold into a sort of pin to get a two count. But then uh, Carmelo Hayes whiplashes Grimes off the ropes and hits that beautiful diving axe kick off the top for the one, two, three. Siege, I was devastated my boy didn't get the win, but I didn't half enjoy these two going at it. I did too. It wasn't quite on the level that I wanted it to be in my mind. Because I think that they deserve absolutely everything, the pair of them. And um, they are the best two acts on this brand, other than Bron Breaker, of course. Um, I enjoyed this a lot for what it was. But what it was, was a very shallow moves with a Z match, back and forth with near falls. That's mm. all it was. It's really hard to analyse beyond what it actually was. I bought some of the near falls, so they must have done something right to do that. Some of the moves were quite cool, but nothing completely blew away. Um, it's just a good NXT match, if I want to be reductive about it. I did think the timing on the Trick Williams, like, uh, that's what I'm looking for. Save? Yeah, the save. Like, the, the sacrifice. That's it, yeah. This Trick Williams sacrifice spot was really well done. Um, so that was really good. If I'm going to be more generous, because I want to be, because I really like um, everyone involved in this. Carmelo Hayes, when he was in the control phase early, like his facial expressions, like such a smug, entitled, I've got this in the bag, prick. Like I thought his facials were good, but ultimately a very, very shallow and as a result, hollow experience. Not without the odd thrill. Mm. Carmelo Hayes, though, if you want to use the AEW comparison, certainly one of the pillars of NXT, I think it's fair to say, Hamlet. Yeah. Um, which, you know, shouldn't have negative connotations because this building crumbles down once a week. <laughs> so... Yeah, I'd, I'd like, I don't want to say, I don't want to say underwhelmed because that would be unfair to the work. And I don't want to neg anybody's subjective enjoyment of this because I think we all like Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams and Cameron Grimes for that matter. This didn't feel, and this is quite damning against a pair of them, even though we know how over-agented and how formula all of WWE wrestle is. This didn't feel enough like I was watching Carmelo Hayes versus Cameron Grimes. It felt like I was watching a match supplanted on two wrestlers 
rather than two wrestlers, particularly working as their characters. And WWE is guilty of this from time to time. It's especially going to happen in NXT where there'll be more of an emphasis to follow. Like the example I would give as a comparison point is the other week on Monday Night Raw, because they're absolute legends and were almost certainly given no instruction other to go and do what they can do in their sleep. How great was Rey Mysterio versus AJ Styles? Mm. Because you were seeing two legends that can just do this, as I say, in their sleep, like with like less than a minute's notice, probably they could assemble something like that, where all they have to do is dive into their back catalogue. They know where to do the things that look cool. They know the things look cool, but they know exactly where to place them against each other because AJ Styles knows exactly how to be AJ Styles and Rey Mysterio knows how to be Rey Mysterio. WWE has so little trust in its performers to be themselves mm. that what you get out of a Cameron Grimes promo versus a, and a Carmelo Hayes promo was not necessarily what was reflected in it in the match. The Trick Williams save, which Sidgwick identified, was probably the closest they came to it, which is why that spot was so impressive. There was the, what was the big, oh my God, everybody stares at the hands too. Character. It was a super kick, wasn't it? The the Grimes one. I didn't, I didn't buy that. Who bought like who bought that? I'm not saying it was a Ruby Soho recoiling horror gift worthy one because it wasn't. But who really bought that? Nobody. That's just what we do when we're chasing four stars and it feels like we're only going to get three. Like way, way, way too much in the vein of Shawn Michaels has visualised a match between two lumps of clay and has made that match happen rather than understanding how to let these characters breathe a little bit. So yeah. like overall, a disappointment, albeit like well worked, well beyond the level that most people are capable of on this show, but not really in keeping with the two wrestlers that I'm quite passionately enjoying. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think it may have suffered as well, like you say, from from unnecessarily high expectations. We were bouncing off the walls talking about this yesterday. Um, that that you know the running where someone runs him and then he does the flip sunset flip thing that he does looked really good with Carmelo Hayes. Obviously, if I was Trick Williams, I'd literally never wear a shirt again. I don't care what, what oh time of year God. it is. I said it yesterday, but if I was Trick Williams, I'd say, yeah, you've got something special with me. Can I go to the new Japan Dojo for two years? Like, <laughs> like please, come on. I can, be, I can be the best at this. The thing is, NXT, for all its many, many faults, with the right talent, 2.0 can still make, guys. Like, this wasn't a patch on the Roderick Strong match. In terms mm. of, like, leaving you with actual takeaways or thinking that, you, you know, you might end up watching it again. I, like, I'll never, ever watch this match again. And I like these two a lot. So it was yeah. like, a bit of an objective failure, I would say. Yeah, but I, would, I haven't wouldn't watch this again, but I would gladly see these two men go out with, with Trick Williams at ringside again. I just I just really enjoyed that, the, the work in it. But I think, yeah, like you say, there was flashes in there, but maybe just not quite to the level we were expecting. Uh, this was where we had Kaylee Ray in her rage room smashing stuff and Io Shirai getting involved and hitting things with baseball bats, and then in comes Zoe Stark, and she's got a cup of coffee, and you know, Sarai smashes that as well. And there's just a little look from Zoe Stark of like, oh, you're kind of too into this team for me, I thought. Do you see that, Amplet? Yeah, a little bit. I, like, I, I, I kind of, I would appreciate them inserting a bit of drama here if there wasn't so much ludicrous drama everywhere else. Mm. You know, if you just had like a bunch of solid teams, and these were ultimately the all-star team, but can they get along? Plus there's an X factor in Zoe Stark. I think that's interesting in and of itself. But because there's so much of the bollocks going on this tournament, or, or dicks in the case of at least one of the teams, <laughs> it just doesn't feel like it's going to resonate anywhere near as much as it should. And ultimately, I'm watching these two, again, like just to echo the point I made earlier, they're leagues above everybody else. Like all the fluff and bollocks of these sort of segments aside, they're light years in front. And it's just ludicrous if they don't win this tournament at a canton. 
And uh, then we got the Dusty Cup final, MSK versus the Creed Brothers. The Creed Brothers come out with Malcolm Bivens holding a John Cena never give up towel that he then reverses to reel, reel the phrase. Nah, you should. Protect Malcolm Bivens at all costs. I love that man. Um, the story of this match was effectively uh, each Creed brother is incredibly powerful um, and MSK would have to use their, their wiles and their double team abilities to overcome that. Um, early on to take us to a break, Wesley hits an amazing big flip dive over the top to take out Brutus on the outside. But uh, then there's a, a running shoulder tackle sort of thing as Wesley stood on the apron to send him into the announcer's table, which looked needlessly rough. And not as in the shoulder was needlessly rough, just like, oh, that can go really yeah. wrong with the metal edge of that table. Um, but yeah, hell of, a, hell of a spot to take us to the break. We come back, uh, Lee makes the hot tag to Carter, who comes in, snap German suplex on Brutus, uh, he nails kicks on both Creed brothers. It's a senton on Julius. Lee tags in. It's a diving corkscrew to get them an earful. Uh, but then Creed Brothers turn things around. Brutus hits Lee with a push kick. Uh, and Julius catches a tope attempt from Carter to give him a spine buster on the floor. He rolls him back into the ring, takes down the straps, hit him with that big clothesline of theirs, the sliding clothesline on the ground. And uh, one, two, three, the Creed Brothers win the Dusty Cup. They celebrate with it in the stands. Uh, Malcolm Bivins can't believe what he's seeing confetti's pouring down. Good for the Creed brothers, Sige. Yeah, good for them. This match was, it was, didn't feel worthy of a big tournament final. Didn't feel like this huge step forward to doing something incredible with like the certain careers. I liked certain spots in it, but it wasn't a really great story. It just wasn't anything fantastic. I like the, the idea of them saving an apron version of that assisted Oh, yeah. Mad thing that they the do. The moonsault, yeah. I've yeah, to mention that. Like, that was really good. And it sort of indicated to me they've thought of that a while ago and they've saved it for an occasion where it feels like they have to unleash it at the last stage because it's risky. It felt like a risky move. But when the finish is a guy DDTing himself and then winning, it just brings it to focus. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, spine must have been. <laughs> it just brings it to focus that this brand is untenable in terms of what purpose it's aiming to serve. I just looked and thought, geez, he's DDT'd himself and then won a match. A tournament final that they've theoretically built as something important for ages and ages and ages. Um, why did I have to waste my time with all those MSK skits if they didn't win? That annoyed me. Like The annoying segments were even worse in retrospect for me. I just couldn't get past the finishes. Oh, that looked like the opposite of what was meant to look like and you only remember the finish, don't you? Those MSK segments effectively existed for them to bring Riddle in, win a six-man, and then have him leave again. So, like, six to eight weeks or something of that for the sake of one match. Once? He worked with them once, and then he was never mm -hmm. there again? He did, but the, the premise was his guidance was going to... They were always mentioning the Dusty Cup as the reason, and then they've lost it. Yeah, uh, yeah I pretty much echo all of Sidgwick's takes on this. At, at, the, at the end, my interior voice went, oh, that's uh, over a bit quick. But then I was like, don't say those words out loud because I might encourage them to go five more minutes and I'm not asking for that. Ever, 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 ever. But it did feel a bit premature for a tournament final as if they hadn't quite yet reached the peak for something. And then it's like, well, maybe they were never going to reach a peak. Maybe this ultimately just didn't matter enough. Maybe the the better stories were elsewhere in the tournament, perhaps. And that's why the stakes felt a little bit reduced on the night or perhaps just 2.0, especially in that building, 
is mostly incapable of making something feel important. Maybe not, that's unfair on Braun Breaker's title matches, actually. But other than that, maybe nothing else feels that big time on this show now, including that they don't have takeovers. Maybe a Sunday special, perhaps. But yeah, it didn't, all of this felt really quite understated, actually. Uh, and for a match on paper, MSK and the Creed Brothers, that looks like, right, there is actually a semblance of a tag division here. I, I just didn't feel a great deal for any of this. I I, I don't know. I'm st- I think I'm, if I've not done it already, I'm on the verge of selling my stock in the Creed Brothers, to be honest. I think they're, I think we've always tried to pretend that the magic was just diminishing rather than outright gone. And it just, I, I didn't get much from them here at all. Um, just very happy for Diamond Mine and Malcolm Vivins in particular, the fallout from this. He looked so... Um, in kayfabe terms, it's not the worst thing to try and actually commit to something with Diamond Mine because they feel like the most 50-50 bunch of dorks on this brand. Yeah. You win a few, a few, Roderick Strong had a belt, he doesn't have a belt, all that kind of thing. Um, Ivy Niles class, but she's a long way from being able to be like let into long matches. So it's probably best that you commit to them as having some sort of dominance. Otherwise, what are they really for? Another vignette for Nikita Lyons. Uh, talks about her dad sitting her down and telling her to stop beating people up. She was built to bring people together. The rest is history, she said. And then she did a dance routine. She's a whole lot of woman. She's going to do a whole lot of whooping. And uh, she's going to be in action next week. So stop fighting. Concentrate on your music. You're meant to bring people together in a crowd who are singing your songs back at you, and you're a, you're a singer. I'm saying this as a wrestler ahead of my debut. What? <laughs> yeah. They cannot even make sense of their own bollocks within the same paragraph. They're so sh- This company is so stupid. This company at times is so stupid that it embarrasses me that I persevere with professional wrestling as a goddamn hobby. It demeans me. That's how stupid no, it, always, it always They won. They will always win. Billion dollars. I'm going to give three examples of the same sort of playbook that NXT 2.0 has used since it debuted, right? Bob Holly. Hit tip minge. <laughs> Bob Holly. My friends call me Sparky. Was stood by the racetrack saying, hey, it's pretty intense out there, but that makes me ready for the intensity of the World Wrestling Federation. Duke the Dumpster Rossi. It's putting out the bins, right? He's collecting the bins. Yeah. He's emptying the bins. He's getting on the back of the bin wagon, but he's like saying... I'm pretty experienced taking out the trash. Looks to me like there's a lot of trash and he's taking out the World Wrestling Federation. Isaac Yankum, he's a fucking dentist. But uh, he's like, Jerry Lawler's there saying, you know what Isaac Yankum likes doing? He likes inflicting torture on people. And Bret Hart at the SummerSlam, he's going to inflict torture on you. Dentist, bin man, race car driver. A reason to wrestle in the World Wrestling Federation. She's a singer who brings people together. I'm going to start fighting. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's it. Just they're they're only thinking of the first bit, and they never. Tony D'Angelo, my family made a lot of money in uh, waste management. I'm gonna come and make nothing at all, fighting for a living on NXT 2.0. Like they never do that last bit anymore. They don't find a reason to have these people that walk the earth to walk into the WWE universe. They just don't. Great take, great analogies, but unfortunately, given the median age of this television show, those are deep cuts. Next time, talk about your Stan Sazyaks, your superstar <laughs> Billy Gray, <laughs> Pedro Morales's. That's how you'll get it over with them. Oh, I get it now, yeah. <laughs> Bruno San Martino, multicultural New York City, brought them together. <laughs> uh, we got a promo from Imperium. Uh, Gunter's still getting Walter Chance. 
Gunter. Who's that, who's that, who's that job running? Yeah. Like, who's that oh, completely? Sorry, go on. Who's that completely loser hanging around with Imperium, by the way? <laughs> it's odd. He looks Gunter, more like Gaunter. He just looks like he's just... <laughs> he looks simply weird. He doesn't look imposing anymore. Just he needs to get fat again. Let's be <laughs> perfectly honest. I'm saying I'm sitting here and I can feel my belly between like my nipples and my belt line thrown stones in glass houses but you know take away Cardiff we need that guy again remember that uh, NXT take away Cardiff uh, take over Cardiff it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't look the same it turns out the uh, UK NXT UK title did have a value because there he is this job Johnny job a loser in the middle of two jacked Imperium members with tag belts and you're like why have they brought their friend <laughs> <laughs> Strap him up. Just put a belt on. Put a meaningless title on him just to make him look like he's worth the shit. I'll put a kebab down. I'm not my help. So he either corrected the announcer or the crowd how to pronounce Gunther. Um, but anyway, yeah, the rest of Imperium, uh, uh, Bartell and Eichner, congratulate the Cree brothers on winning the Dusty Cup. So you just still won't be ready for it to face us for the tag titles. Uh, and Gunther says he's going to be watching the NXT Championship match between Breaker and Escobar with interest. And he's uh, about to bang on about the bloody map being sacred or whatever. When out comes Solo Sokoa, who says that on the island, they find the biggest and baddest guy and smack the taste out of his mouth. That's what he was looking to do. Gets upon the apron. He soon realized, by the way, numbers of disadvantage, so I'm probably not going to get in and do anything. But he says, I don't care how you say your name, Gunter. No, I'm about to make you my bitch. Um... I was more intimidated by a greenhorn rookie I didn't know about two months ago than I was Walter in mm. this segment. Like, that's something about his presence and his inflection here. I was impressed by Solo Sokoa and Walter Gunter. What happened to him? What happened to that guy? Yeah, I don't know if it's because I'm like so predisposed to awesome, charismatic Samoans, but like since the start, really, I've quite liked Solo Sokoa. Mm. But- Fundamentally, this program is so bad and WWE can't do out because, you know, often we talk about like, well, he's a baby face. So he said he's going to do a thing. And the next week on the show, he's kind of got to do that thing. Otherwise, his credibility is knackered. That's like normally seven days apart rather than seven seconds. I'm going to get in there and smash you. No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) You can even slide in and try. I like Solus Goa. And yet this girl thing is ruined. I'm going to come in there and make you my bitch. Oh, what's that? What time is it? Oh, God, we've got a main event still. Get to. <laughs> uh, Dolph Ziggler's interview talked about Champa's promo. Uh, said he plans on ending Champa's hopes of regaining the NXT Championship. He's going to beat him next week. And he's going to, again, he's going to be watching the main, the main event with great interest. Uh, and then in the back, uh, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams are, uh, oh, that was a bit bloody tough, that walking back through after their match. Or well, as after Carmelo's match with, with Cameron Grimes, when in comes Pete Dunn, who congratulates Hayes on being the uh, NXT North American champion, quotes, for now. So, yeah, Trick Williams is going to get his fingers broken, isn't he? Yeah, preview fodder. Let's wrap this one up. Yeah, let's go to the main event. It was Braun Breaker versus, versus Santos Escobar for the NXT championship. Braun Breaker set the Vengeance Day logo on fire, and I loved it as part of his entrance. I don't know why everything Breaker doesn't want. God, yeah, go on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was actually, you know, based on when he kicked the X last time. 
He was actually going to set a skull throne on fire, but I've heard they're saving that for somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> um, Breaker's much stronger than Santos Escobar early on. He knocks him down with a, the shoulder block and just Escobar goes for a shove and he just doesn't move. Great. Um, but Escobar fights back with his glorious long locks. Thought you looked great in this. Uh, he hits a drop kick, but then Breaker, I love this. I, I made a mental note when this was happening. Breaker picks him up and it's that big delayed vertical suplex. And I noticed he goes, like, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but Vic Joseph basically was like, he's got him up for the suplex or whatever. And in the time he just held him up there, Vic Joseph promoted Elimination Chamber. It was brilliant. It was like, right, in this gap, I can tell you about uh, Elimination Chamber coming this weekend. Uh, don't make sure you watch it on the network, on Peacock, or wherever you, wherever you fancy watching it from. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. And down comes the suplex. Brilliant. Um, hits him with a lariat, hits him with a backbreaker. But then, of course, as we'd anticipated, uh, the rest of Legado del Fantasma caused the distraction. Joaquin Wilde jumps up on the ring apron. Uh, that distracts Bron Breaker and that allows Escobar to knock him down, knock him off the ring apron and hit him with that tope of his. Um, Escobar sort of slows the match down, dominates, wears him down. And we're all just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then it comes the breaker comeback. Gloria punches, shoulder blocks. Mendoza and Wild get up on the apron. Can see you bastards later. Chucks them around all of it. shop. Electra Lopez gets up, distracts the referee. Dolph Ziggler slides in. Super kicks breaker. Escobar covers, but Bron Breaker kicks out at two. Ziggler tries to get back in and involve himself again in the match. But then Tommaso Ciampa pulls him out and they brawl around ringside. Escobar hits the Tornado DDT, goes up top but misses the lovely uh, homage to Eddie Guerrero on such a special uh, anniversary. Misses the frog splash, though. Uh, Breaker hits him with a, just a spear that takes him out of his goddamn shoes. Pulls down the straps. Gorilla press. Power slam. One, two, three. Bron Breaker, thank God, is still our NXT champion, Sige. Uh, not to shift the tone too much, because that was a very passionate recap. Once again, Adam Wilborn's on form today. Fired up. This, if I recall, the commentator said, went commercial-free, correct? Yes. They can't not be WWE. <laughs> yes. They cannot not be WWE. You've got a goddamn opportunity <laughs> here to not be WWE. The whole selling point of the match, other than here's your champion in action, is, oh, there's no adverts in this one, lads. So there won't be that bit in the middle that should be contrived uh, that you just kind of have to ignore to enjoy North American TV wrestling. You don't have to do that this time. It's commercial goddamn free. Five minutes left on the runtime on uh, the um, video player I watched this on. <laughs> and, uh, Santos Escobar puts him in a, in a chin lock for like literally like a minute and a half. Uh, what, just, it's so robotic and panned. Mm. That pissed me off, quite frankly. And then, because Bron Break is awesome, I was removed from this bad mood when he did the spear, which is just unbelievable. <laughs> like, you know, in video games, Right. And I know it's used as this negative comparison in pro wrestling by tedious old arseholes who should just go away or be ignored and then they will go away. <laughs> Video game wrestling is really cool because it's like, ah, that doesn't look real. It's a new, it's the new form of pro wrestling magic. Mm. No one believes it's real. You can believe that it doesn't look real because it looks so cool. That's the new athletic new school magic. And, you know, CM Punk's doing awesome old school stuff on the other channel, so you can have both if you're not a boring twat. <laughs> I'll <laughs> in bad faith. There's two bits of Brom Baker. 
two moments of Bron Breaker magic in this match. One is a mere clothesline, where it's like, step, step, bullet! <laughs> Hits the move. I don't know how he does this. And then he does like, oh, one step, two step, bullet, spear. It's just like, all of a sudden, like, it's a dash mechanic. Yes. On your real life screen of how ridiculously explosive this guy is. And I will contend that if they would get so even more out of him, if they, he's the, he's the next Goldberg. The guy, the way he moves his intensity, the way he just pops about, stop making him selling chin locks. Mm. Although, Stop it, because if you do like a year and a half of just five-minute Bron Breaker squashes, no one will ever get bored of it. It's the most awesome thing to see him literally explode with the propulsion of a bullet when someone eventually does unlock the Breaker puzzle. They can subdue him. In the meantime, he can start to learn how to work longer matches in plain sight the longer they go, rather than five, like two-minute chin locks, five minutes towards the end the heel will get over for being able to subdue the monster, right? But when you see flashes of Bron Breaker as he is meant to be booked, it's incredible. I love that booking, by the way. Bloody, trying to think of a funny uh, name, a pun you can give him. I came up with Bronick the Hedgehog, right? Because in terms of the screen, <laughs> I was up and then just wrecked people. <laughs> what if you do the Goldberg run? I think I love that because as much as I, I did sort of a weirdly enjoy you the pop up there. I weirdly sort of enjoyed, if anyone wants to mock that up on Twitter, knock yourselves out, by the way. Um, weirdly sort of enjoyed the chin lock because I was like, well, when he gets out of this, you're in trouble, boy. Because I was like, well, he's not winning Santos Escobar. as great as he is, right? What if he does what you said? Because that's a far better bit of booking. They're not going to do it, but obviously we can enjoy it. He goes on this Goldberg squash run and he does the does the record, you know, gets a gets a streak going. And then in one of the matches, some bell end friend of the heel he's facing jumps up. What's he got? Bloody cattle prod, fires him up even more, doesn't put him down. He's like, yes, come on, I'll kill you even more now. That's what they should do. Yep. Have like, your thoughts. Yep. Uh I'm just thinking about Bron Breaker, like proving that he listens to the podcast by wearing a blue and white singlet and red boots the next time that he wrestles. Um, this ruled in every way that Hayes and um, Cameron Grimes didn't. This was outside of the chin lock, which Sidgwick is absolutely right to isolate. The chin lock, which featured way too much of watching Bron Breaker selling a chin lock. I wasn't watching the chin lock. I was watching Breaker. Not really know how to sit there in it more than I was watching the hold. So other than that, this was unmistakably Bron Breaker versus Santos Escobar. And I really appreciated that, especially as a contrast piece to the match that I was disappointed with in the middle of the card. Um, it felt as much like a test for Santos Escobar as a challenger as it did for Bron Breaker as a defending champion in terms of what we were supposed to take from this. How could he use his, you know, more dynamic and entertaining style in a very WWE main event against a very eventual WWE main eventer. And I thought the first two or three minutes, he absolutely mastered it. He was dressed and paying tribute to Eddie Guerrero and he wrestled like Eddie Guerrero in a headliner match against the Brock Lesnar, where you sort of use, like Eddie Guerrero was not the flyer people thought he was by the time he went to WWE. He was jacked and he had to be a bit more psychologically savvy with it. And I thought that's what we got out of Escobar here. Maybe not his most spectacular performance, but one of his smarter and shrewder ones that's going to get him called up, that's going to get him more mm. work and more jobs like this rather than just filling time in NXT. So I thought Escobar was really good at the start and Bron Breaker was really, really good at the end um, at being themselves, at injecting themselves into the match. Um, the dive, 
the early dive that Santos got a bit of control with um, when Braun was going for Phantasma on the floor. That's absolutely perfect. Like, not because one day he's going to do it and Michael Cole's going to say SmackDown rolls on, but because that's exactly who that character should be. Something just as simple as that, because you've got to take down this giant, you use your henchman, then you do your high-flying move, and then you, unfortunately, take control of the chin lock and ruin it. But up to that point, really, really cool stuff. Dolph Ziggler, when he gets speared by that spear, is going to be the shape Kane should have been when he fell off Daniel Bryan's car. (laughs) They're going to take a picture that's going to be on WWE.com that I cannot wait to look at of Ziggler's hair and arms and legs mid-impact from the Braun Breaker spear. That's how good that's going to be. You know, when, I, when people, I think of Paul Bloody Lita when I think of this, but you see like compilations and they scorpion themselves and they're like their feet touch the back of their head. I want his toes to touch the top of his head. Like he's just like, completely, just genuinely, burnt. genuinely right. Dolph Ziggler, like I, I completely take your word for it. Sure, he was a complete arsehole last week on NXT. He's kind of an arsehole in the promo here. He was a bit of an arsehole on Raw. Um, I'm going to invoke one of Cedric's highest bits of praise when I say that. Ron Breaker versus Dolph Ziggler is like one of them Tony Khan adjacent pairings. They have they have stumbled across an inch perfect pairing between main roster and NXT of something you absolutely want to watch. Well, really, what you want to watch is something happen to one of the guys, don't you? They've like in theory, they've absolutely nailed that booking. Yeah, uh, brilliant ending to a really quite enjoyable uh, NXT Vengeance Day. Uh, do let us know. Another, another really enjoyable NXT. There have been a lot of wrestling on these NXTs recently. Yeah, but, too much for the wrestling. <laughs> but nevertheless, do let us know your thoughts on this show uh, on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at... Michael Hamlet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at um, Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Myself and Sidgwick will be back later on today to talk about AW Dynamite and probably the person who's not going to be on it anymore. Uh, so looking forward to that greatly. But uh, this has been the NXT Dubai oh! Vengeance Day review. My thanks to the Dadley Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. <laughs>